Glad to see everyone here this morning. Hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving week. I know some of us are still out traveling, some of us are out sick, but it's good to see everyone that's here this morning. If you consider yourself a visitor, we'd like to welcome you and invite you back at any time you have the opportunity to come worship with us. As Yancey read this morning, we're going to talk out of James 4 this morning. Uh, those of you expecting to hear Matt talk about James 3, I'm sorry, but he was sick, so I got called to fill in. So we're going to talk about James 4 this morning. We'll probably go back and talk about James 3 some other time. But in James 4, that first passage that Yancey read, you could build a whole sermon on that. And I'm going to try to build a sermon on that plus the rest of the chapter. Because I believe, as I was talking to Dusty about, you know, whenever I first got this, I thought there were three or four main ideas in here that I could really get across on. But they all wrap into one. And and that is, are you a friend of the world or are you a friend of God? Do you want to be a friend of the world or do you want to be a friend of God? That's what this whole chapter wraps back around to. Are you a friend of God or are you a friend of the world? He tells us in this chapter how we can be a friend of God. But he also tells us in this chapter how we can be a friend of the world. In that very first part, he says, where do wars come from among you? Where's this fighting coming from? Where does all this come from? It comes from your own selfishness, from your own ideas. You want your way. Maybe somebody hurt you and you just want to teach them a lesson. I don't know, but you want your way. And you'll do anything to get it. That's selfish. He's saying, don't be that way. He's saying, you want it, but you murder and you covet and you don't get it. You want it and you don't ask for it. You ask for it and you don't get it because you ask because you want it for your own selfish pleasures. You don't ask because I want to glorify God through this thing that he's given me. I don't want to win the lottery so I can glorify God through the money he's given me. I want to win it so I can buy the stuff I like. I don't want to have a better job with better pay so I can help glorify God through that. I want it because I want more money and I want to buy nicer things. And if that's the kind of attitude we have when we ask God for things, we're not being a friend of God. How would you like it if somebody just kept asking and asking and you knew they really weren't wanting to help you out. They are just wanting to help themselves out. You know, there's a guy at work. He comes into me every day and goes, man, I just want another route. I go, I want a longer route. He's already got a six-hour route. He goes, I want it longer. I want it longer. He goes, I can do this and this would help you out. No, it wouldn't. It would help you out. That would make more work for me, but that would help you out. That's what you want. How would you feel about that? They're really not trying to help you out when they're out volunteering. They're trying to get something for themselves. Like when we ask God, I want a million dollars so I can help you out. No, you don't. You want it for the power and being able to buy everything you want. That's the kind of attitude God is teaching about in that first kind of, that first section there. And then he says, if you want to be a friend of the world, that's into me with God. In other words, that means you're not with God at all. If you want to be a friend of the world, you're not with God. And then the way he ended it was kind of weird for me because it says, God resisteth the proud but giveth grace unto the humble. You know, that whole section he just summed up with that one verse. He resisteth the proud but giveth grace unto the humble. You know, whenever I'm proud, I get all this stuff. I get really proud. I'm proud of myself. I get selfish. That's what he's saying. Don't be that way. Be humble. And this morning I'm going to ask you, are you a friend of God or are you a friend of the world? 
And we're going to go through the rest of this chapter. And I believe as, you, as we go through this chapter, you'll see how it all interconnects. If I do my job right, we'll see how it all interconnects. Because the message is good, the delivery may not be. I'll admit that. Delivery may not be. But the first thing he said mentioned was the fighting in the church. Do we just go around looking for fights? Are we that kind of person? That I have to have my way all the time? That if I don't get my way, nobody's happy? You know, you hear that old saying, when mama's not happy, nobody's happy. Is that the way it is around us? When I'm not happy, nobody's going to be happy? Or do I do what God says? And give unto the other. Preferring one another. You know what? That doesn't mean that you prefer to hang around with them. I've studied that verse a lot. What that means is whenever it's any way possible for you to have your way, I need to give it to you. I don't need to be selfish and say, no, I'm not going to do that. Have I been guilty of that? Yes. I've been guilty of being, if I'm not happy, nobody's going to be happy. You can talk to Amber, you can talk to a number of people. I've been that way. I'm going to make your life miserable because I'm miserable. For my own selfishness, I want this, and I'm going to make everybody miserable because I don't have it. That's not how we need to be. If we're, if we're doing that, we're not being a friend of God because we're fighting amongst ourselves, amongst His people. And neither one of us are better than the other. Proud versus humble. God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. See, that guy, he's pretty proud of himself, isn't he? He's all strutting. You know, pride is something very, can be very touchy because in America, we're a very prideful people. We go, look at what we did. You know, whenever I was in, uh, I guess it was middle school, they were celebrating some anniversary of, of our independence. But it just so happened to be on that week that the Queen was doing some interview in the United States. And Johnny Carson said, well, how do you open that interview? Am I only a hundred short years since we kicked you off this planet? Off this part of the planet? See, we're proud. We like that. We like the fact that Jesse Owens, during the games in Germany, didn't dip the flag because America bows to no king. We're proud. But in Proverbs 6 and 14, a proud look is one of the things that God hates. And it's lumped in there with some pretty serious things. Hands that shed innocent blood. If you have a proud look, you're just as guilty as somebody that killed somebody innocent that was innocent. God lumps those together? Yeah, he does. Those who sow discord among the brethren... You mean God puts pride in the same level as splitting a church? Yes, He does. He can't stand it. You know, in Acts chapter 12 and verse 21, we read about the death of Herod. Herod was given this speech, and it was great oratory, evidently. And I've never had this happen, but the people were out there yelling, It's the voice of a God, not of a man. It was that good of a speech. 
And you know what happened? He fell down dead and was eaten of worms because he gave him to God, not the glory. That's where pride will get you. But he gives his grace unto the humble. You know, in America, we tend to think this guy's got it going on. The guy that's all strutting. And the guy that's in the background doesn't say much. Really humble, really quiet. He, just, he must not be a good leader. He must not be a good provider. Because he's not out there showing his stuff, showing his talent. But that's what God prefers over pride. If you're going to be prideful, you cannot be a friend of God. You have to be humble to do that. Who are you close to? You know, later in the scripture, he says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh unto God and he will draw nigh unto you. Well, do we resist the devil? Do we draw nigh unto God? You know, you know what the funny thing about this scripture is? I guess it's not really funny, but kind of ironic. If you draw nigh unto God, you're going to resist the devil. And if you don't resist the devil, you're not going to draw nigh unto God. To do one, you have to do the other. You can't not resist the devil and draw close to God. Can't do it. The same things that will draw you nigh unto God will help you resist the devil. A healthy prayer life... You know the one thing Satan wants more than anything to you? To cut off your communication with your God. If you do that, you're giving Satan exactly what, exactly what he wants. But if you pray like Daniel did every day, as he had oft before, if you do that, you'll be drawn closer to God and it'll be easier for you to resist the devil. That's why the Bible tells us pray without ceasing. Because the devil's looking for that, that moment where he can get in there. Study his word. You know what the devil's favorite thing is? To see a Bible in your house full of dust never been opened. That's his favorite thing. Because what he can do, he can send people to you, teach you something false, and you'll be going, hey, yeah, that sounds about right. I remember something about that. That could be right. And you don't know because you haven't studied. If you study the word of God, you will draw nigh unto God. How are you going to draw nigh unto, how are you going to draw closer to somebody if you don't know what you say? If they don't know what you, if you don't know what they want you to do? How can you do that? How can you draw closer to somebody and you don't have no idea what they say, what they stand for, anything? You're just expecting, hey God, do the work, bring me to you. That's not how it works. And if you really want to draw nigh to God, you got to do what He says. It's not enough just to read it, you have to do it. Because you can read everything, you can know everything that the Bible says, but unless you put it to work in your life, it's not going to help you. Unless you put the Bible's message to work in your life, it's not going to help you. And you know what the thing that drives me craziest? Well, you just don't know, Jeremy. I don't have a choice. I don't have a choice. They're forcing my hand to do this. 
I don't have a choice to do what God says. I have to do this. Then you are choosing to leave God behind. That's what you're choosing. If you really feel like you're back in the corner and you don't have a choice, just stand up and look around. You have a choice. You always have a choice to do what God says. It'll work out better for you in the long run. You know, there may not be any consequences in this life to it, but there could be in the next life. Whenever God tells me to love my enemies and pray for those that use me, I don't want to. I don't have a choice. You don't know what they've done to me. We always have a choice. If you want to draw an eye into God, you need to have a healthy prayer life. You need to study your Bible. Not only do you need to study your Bible, you need to put it to work in your life. And you will draw an eye into God, and Satan will flee from you. Because he's going to go looking for an easy target. But it's just like, I couldn't find a really good picture of this, so I want you to imagine a GPS screen. You have God here, and you have you here. Every time you have make a decision with God, you get closer to God. Every time you don't, you get closer to the devil. And that's how it works. When you make a choice to not do what God says, you're getting closer to the devil. Don't fool yourself and think, well, I don't have a choice. Yes, you do. And you're choosing to go closer to the devil than you are going to closer to God. Amen. God rewards the humble. You know, we, he comes back to this. So evidently, this is pretty important when he comes back to it in the same chapter. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and He will lift you up. That's verse 10 of James chapter 4. He comes back around to it. So evidently there's something important about this being humble thing. And here not only does He say you need to be humble, but God rewards the humble. If you want to be lifted up by God, you be humble. That's what He's saying. You know what? Whenever I think about this, there's a couple of things I think about in the Scriptures. One of them is in Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 23. You know, me and Dusty were talking about this morning. It seems like how funny it is when we study James. It always takes us back to Proverbs somehow. That we can think of something in Proverbs that basically says the same thing that James says. And in Proverbs 29 and 23, it says, A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. If you want to be brought low before God, be prideful. If you want to retain honor, be humble. In Matthew 23 and 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. You want to be exalted in the eyes of God? Then be humble. God rewards a humble attitude. You want to be a friend of God? Be humble. You know what the ultimate example of this is? If you look over in Luke chapter 18, starting about verse 10, you have a story about a Pharisee and a tax collector. And they were both going up on a mountain to pray. And the Pharisee started in on this big spiel about how grateful he was. He wasn't a sinner. He wasn't like this. He didn't murder. He tithed. He wasn't even like this publican tax collector that came with him. You know what the tax collector did? He wouldn't even lift his eyes toward heaven, but hit his chest and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. He said, this man went down blessed rather than the other. How is that possible? 
tax collectors were considered the most vile people of the day back then. You know how a tax collector got paid? He'd go up and collect taxes for the government, and then he would collect a little bit, on, a little bit for his own, for himself. That's how they got paid. They were reviled. And a Pharisee was supposed to be the upright person of God. But yet he didn't find favor in the eyes of God because of his pride. If you want to be exalted, be a humble person and you can be a friend of God. Do not judge your brother. Do not speak evil of one another. Believe he who speaks evil of his brother and judges the brother speaks evil of the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, ye are not doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who are you to judge another? You know what? That was a big problem back in, the, in that day. We had Jews who were very prideful about being the people of God. Wanting to judge Gentiles because they didn't obey the old law. They wanted them to be circumcised. They wanted them to do certain things. But right here he's saying, don't do that. Who am I to condemn somebody whenever I should be condemned myself? You know, this isn't talking about judging a man's fruits and the kind of people you should hang around with. It's not, it's not that. It's talking about condemning somebody whenever you yourself should be condemned also. You know, God teaches us to judge a righteous judgment. But He teaches us that we do it by the fruits of their works. But we don't ever have a commandment where God tells us to condemn somebody. If you can find that in the Bible, I'd please like you to point that out to me because I can't find it. I looked. I looked hard for this lesson. I can't find it. And if you want to look and you, if you think you can find it, you can come talk to me and I'll be more than willing to listen. But I can't do it. And how he closes this out, that, that verse out, really puts, it, puts the nail on the head for me. Who are you to judge somebody else? Don't you remember all the sin that comes short of the glory of God? And the wages of sin is death? We should all be condemned. Who are we to judge somebody else? If you want to be a friend of God, get rid of the judgmental attitude. Quit condemning people. Now you can tell them what they're doing is wrong, but don't condemn them. I've heard people say so many times, they're not worth it. You ever heard that? They're not worth it. Maybe you haven't heard it in that specific term. But let me put it in a term you may have heard. Maybe, I, maybe you've even used it. I know I've used it. If people aren't willing to listen, why am I going to tell them? Because they want to go to hell. They, that's what they want to do. They want to go to hell. They don't want to listen to me. I'm condemning them before I even talk to them. We don't need to do that. That's not our place. That's not our responsibility. There's one judge, and it isn't me. It's not me. It's not you. It's the perfect Lamb of God that laid down His life for us. That's who's going to be the judge. And His Father in Heaven. Those are the judges. Those are the only two people that have a right to judge anybody. Not me. <clears throat> Do not trust in yourself. I will not doubt my ability. That was on a self-help thing. I will not doubt my ability. Well, who gave you the ability? Who gave you that ability you're not? 
You know, in verse 13, it says, Come now, you who say, today and tomorrow, we will go into such and such city, spend a year there, buy, sell, and get gain, and get make a profit. Whereas, do you not know what will happen tomorrow? For what is your life? It is even as a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall have to do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. You know that? For a long time, I thought that meant you shouldn't make plans. <laughs> That's what I really thought that meant. I shouldn't make plans because I don't know what's going to happen. That's true. I don't know what's going to happen. But I want you to look at the plans they made. I will buy. I will sell. I will make a profit. You know what they did? They made plans without God. They said, look at how good I can be. I can be a great salesman. I can be a great purchaser. And then I can make a profit. That kind of reminds me of in Luke. The farmer who had to tear down his barns and build greater. You know what? He was proud of himself. I have done great things. I can build down, tear down my barns and build greater. And I will say to my soul, eat, drink, and be merry. What did God say to him? Thou fool, this day your soul is required of you, and whose things will these be? We don't need to make plans without God. We don't need to trust in our abilities without God. Because God's the one that gave us every one of our abilities. You know, there was a coach I had that knew how just to get me to play like that. He'd, he'd hurt my pride. <laughs> he'd say, Cole, you're not good enough to beat that guy. You're just not good enough. You just do the best you can and we'll be all right. That hurt me. I have this great ability. I can do it, coach. I know I can do it. He attacked their pride. Because that hurts. When somebody says, you don't have the ability to do that. You can't do that. And you know what? Your response is, you're right. I can't do that without God. God gave me everything I have. And for me to leave him out of anything in my life is wrong. You want to be a friend of God, trust in God. Don't trust in the abilities he gave you. Because he gave everybody different abilities. Trust in God, don't trust in the ability. And then he ends it. Do good. Therefore, to whoever knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. That's how he closes that chapter. You know to do good? Then do it. If you don't do it, that's sin. You want to be a friend of God? You do good. Don't do evil. And if you know what you're doing is not good, then don't do it. Because if you know to do good and you don't, to you it's sin. If you know that you should be doing something good and you're not, to you it's sin. Because you know better. Now what about if you don't know? Well, God didn't address that here. He'll have to take care of that on himself, for himself, I guess. There's just some things we don't know. But here he says, if you know to do it and you don't, to you it's sin. So how does this all wrap up into being a friend of God and of the world? You know, whenever you think about these things, being proudful instead of humble, 
You know, the world wants you to be proudful. If you want to be a friend of the world, you can be proudful. Or you can be humble and be a friend of God. You can resist the devil and be a friend of God. Or you can invite him in and not and be a friend of the world. You can do what God asks you to do. Study His Word and pray for Him and you can draw nearer to Him. Or you can just ignore everything He wants you to do and become a friend of the world. You can be judgmental and condemn people. Or you can be loving and forgiving as God is. If you're judgmental and condemn people, you're part of the world. You're a friend of the world. If you show love, mercy, Patience, you're a friend of God. You can trust in the abilities that God can get you through any problem you have. And trust in your abilities alone and you can be a friend of the world. Or you can trust in the God that gave you the abilities and you can be a friend of God. And finally, if you know to do good and you don't do it, you're a friend of the world. But if you know to do good and you do the good, you're a friend of God. That's how it all wraps back up. You know, at first it kind of was kind of hard for me to see that until I really started studying it as a whole instead of in sections. But it all wraps around back to that one thing. Do you want to be a friend of God? And the most important thing the scripture tells us, if you want to be a friend of God, you do not cause fighting among each other because of selfish reasons. If you do that, you're a friend of the world. You're a friend of Satan. If you show love, honor, and humility... And understanding to each other. And not my own selfish way. That's when you're a friend of God. And that, at this point, what I'm going to ask you right now is, are you a friend of God? Or are you a friend of the world? If you're a friend of the world, you can change. You know that GPS I talked about? What's funny is, you know, when you look at the car, the car never sits still. You can, keep, you can always move closer. You can have a setback, but then move a little bit closer. That's the beauty of God. God is a God of second chances. No books, no one character story tells us better than that than Jonah. God told Jonah once, go, do so, go to Nineveh and teach. He didn't do it. He ran away, got swallowed up by a well. Jonah prayed, was spit back out, and God told him again, go to Nineveh. And that time he went. So if we feel like we're becoming more of a friend of the world, we can always correct ourselves and come back to being a friend of God. And that's what you need to want. You need to want to be a friend of God. And if you do these things, I'm not saying they're easy things to do. Some of them may be very hard for you to do. But I believe the reward at the end will be worth it. So if you consider yourself maybe being on more of the side that you're a friend of the world, you can always get back on that path to being a friend of God. And if you need to do that, we can help you as we stand and sing.